0: That's Science V.S. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Saturday, December 28th, 2019. On this day in 1956, 12-year-old Patricia Grimes and her 15-year-old sister Barbara left the movies and never returned home. Their disappearance sparked one of the most famous missing person's investigations in Chicago's history. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the mysterious disappearance of the Grimes sisters from a movie house in Brighton Park, Chicago. But before we dive into the investigation, let's go back to the evening of December 28th, 1956, just before 7.30 p.m. Twelve-year-old Patricia Grimes laid sprawled on the living room floor in front of the AM radio Patricia and her five siblings had received the radio for Christmas a few days before, and ever since, she'd spent hours letting the dulcet tones of crooners like Perry Como and the upbeat jives of Buddy Holly wash over her. But there was one voice she preferred over all the others, Elvis Presley. In 1956, 21-year-old Elvis had swept the rock and roll scene in America. Women and girls across the country were going wild for his swiveling hips and deep, soulful eyes. Patricia Grimes and her older sister, Barbara, were no exception. 15-year-old Barbara lay next to Patricia on the floor, staring dreamily at the ceiling. Patricia didn't have to ask to know what her older sister was thinking. She was replaying scenes from Elvis' new film, Love Me Tender, on repeat in her head. How could she not? The girls had seen the movie together ten times already, and tonight they were heading to the theater for their eleventh screening. Their mother, Loretta, had balked at the idea. For God's sake, how many times did they need to see that grease-haired rock-and-roller wiggle his hips? But Barbara and Patricia begged and pleaded. Patricia's birthday was in just three days. Didn't she deserve to have some fun? Loretta ultimately relented. But later that night, as they tried to rush out the door to catch the bus to the theater, their mother made them promise, be home before midnight and be careful. Barbara and Patricia assured her they would and with a few pecks on the cheek, the girls stepped into the biting winter night. At the theater in neighboring Brighton Park, the sisters settled into their seats. The lights turned low and the opening titles began. Patricia sunk deep in her chair, savoring the embrace of the velvet cushions, her face a glow from the film's projector, and for the next 90 minutes, the outside world slipped away in the darkness of the theater. When the end credits rolled, Patricia looked over to see tears streaming down her sister's face. Barbara always cried at the last scene, where Elvis' character lay dying in the arms of the woman he loved. Even in tragedy, it was all so romantic. Suddenly. Barbara snapped out of her reverie and looked down at her watch. It was nearly 11.30. They were going to miss their bus. Barbara grabbed Patricia by the hand, and the two girls sprinted out of the theater and down the sidewalk, their shoes pounding on the frosted pavement. But it was too late. Just as they reached the stop, they saw the 11.30 bus pull away. The girls stood panting as they watched the taillights fade down the dark road and disappear. What were they going to do now? They'd be dead if they missed their curfew. Barbara paced like a madwoman, her clouded breath trailing behind her like car exhaust, while Patricia shivered, realizing she'd forgotten gloves. Moments later, a pair of headlights lit up the sidewalk. The girls stood stock still like a couple of stunned deer as a car pulled up at the bus stop. Inside, a man cranked down the driver's side window and leaned out. You girls need a ride? He was young, with slicked back hair, like Elvis. Patricia kept her head down. She was shy, especially around handsome strangers. But Barbara was bolder. Before she knew what was happening, the man had opened up the car door and the two girls piled into the back seat. As they drove down the dark street, Patricia sat in silence. Suddenly, the car made a sharp U-turn. Her heart began pounding in her ears. They were going the wrong way. Coming up, the investigation into Patricia and Barbara's disappearance yields tragic results and few answers. Now back to the story. On December 28, 1956, 12-year-old Patricia Grimes and her 15-year-old sister Barbara left their Chicago home for the movies and never returned. That night, the girl's mother, Loretta Grimes, had expected her daughters back before midnight. But when their curfew came and went, she grew worried. Soon, she sent her eldest daughter and 14-year-old son to the bus stop to meet them. The teenagers stood in the cold for hours and waited. After watching three bus cycles come and go, they returned home. Around 2 a.m., they walked through the door and delivered the news their mother had been dreading. Patricia and Barbara never came back. Loretta Grimes flew into action. She called up the girls' friends and classmates and contacted family and neighbors, but no one had seen Patricia or Barbara. So around 2.15 a.m., Loretta called the Chicago PD. Loretta filed a missing persons report, but the officers were less than convinced that the girls' disappearance was nefarious. Teenagers ran away all the time. They'd come back, they assured Loretta. They almost always did. But Loretta knew something was deeply wrong. The girls didn't pack a bag, plus they wouldn't leave their beloved new radio behind. While the family waited for the girls to come home, Patricia's 13th birthday came and went, and when days turned into an entire week with no sign of either girl, the police realized the urgency of the case. Something had happened to the Grimes sisters, and they needed all the manpower they could gather to find them. A team of cops and citizens assembled to search the snowy fields and back alleys in and around the city, but they found nothing. And as the investigation stretched into weeks, the case gained national attention. By mid-January, the police station was flooded with tips. Everyone, it seemed, had a lead on the Grimes sisters. One of the most famous theories came from a source who claimed the girls took a bus to Nashville in an attempt to meet Elvis Presley. And so, even the king of rock and roll himself got involved. Elvis took to the radio to send a plea to the sisters. He said, If you are good Presley fans, you'll go home and ease your mother's worries. But the girls would never get to hear that message. On January 22nd, 1957, nearly a month after the sisters' disappearance, a construction worker stopped his car to investigate something peculiar. He'd seen two nude figures tangled in a ditch off a remote road. He thought they were mannequins, but as he approached the ditch, he realized how wrong he was. There, frozen and animal-ravaged, were the bodies of the Grimes sisters. An autopsy revealed bruises across Barbara's face, as well as signs of potential molestation. And Patricia's chest had three distinct puncture wounds. However, pathologists found no severe injuries that indicated a possible murder method. Baffled, they could only surmise that the girls had frozen to death. The coroners reported Barbara and Patricia's official cause of death as secondary shock due to exposure to the elements. But even so, investigators were convinced that the girls had been murdered before being dumped in their snowy grave. They just needed to find the person responsible. One of the first suspects the detectives pursued was Walter Kranz, a 53-year-old plumber. Kranz called police with an anonymous tip before the girls were even found, claiming to have seen where their bodies were hidden. When asked how, he replied it was revealed to him in a dream. Eerily, the location he named wasn't far from the actual area where the corpses were discovered. But upon further investigation, Kranz was ruled out as a suspect. Besides his dream, there was no other evidence that connected him to the murders. His revelation was brushed off as nothing more than a bizarre coincidence. Another lead had police interrogating a 21-year-old drifter named Edward Bedwell. Edward, or Benny, was somewhat of an Elvis lookalike, who, like the singer, hailed from Tennessee. Benny actually confessed to the murders in great detail, but later retracted his statement entirely. He'd claimed that he'd been intimidated by police into confessing, and later the evidence ruled out his account entirely. The details just didn't match up. For the next few years, police followed dead-end leads. But ultimately, no one was ever convicted. And now, more than six decades later, the Grimes sisters' murders remain unsolved. The mystery surrounding the case continues to baffle experts, inspiring multiple books and documentaries, while its tragedy echoes in Chicago's consciousness. There, it survives as a cautionary tale passed down through generations. For many, it's the reason they keep their children close An unspoken warning, urging them to hurry home before dark. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, But now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Today in True Crime for free from your phone, desktop or smart speaker to stream Today in True Crime on Spotify. Just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar at ParCast. We're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter, at Parcast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Alex Garland. With writing assistance by Maggie Admire, I'm Vanessa Richardson.